Well, if anyone knows me, they know that I love the Word of God, I get excited about the Word of God, I live by the Word of God, but every now and then, every now and then, something comes into your spirit, and you know that God is trying to say, I want to fulfill some of the prophecies in the Old Testament. I want to redo your foundations. And anyone knows, if you have a house and you want to do an extensive add-on renovation to that house, you better have a good foundation. And if you're going to build on, you better build on some more foundation because the house is only as good as the foundation. And we're in a season in the kingdom where God is adding on to the house of God and adding on, adding on, adding on, adding on. It's a time of increased revelation and increased release and receiving of his love. So tonight, may the Holy Spirit, first of all, may he capture my mouth and put word for word what he wants, no more, no less, May he capture your heart and your ears, your soul, your spirit, and your body, that you receive whatever is yours tonight. As Bob and I were talking a, a little bit on the phone today, don't try to remember everything. You know, be like the ones in the scripture that said, I ate the scroll, and it was like honey in my mouth. In other words, it fed me, it enlightened me, it nourished me. But it's okay if you don't remember everything. Absorb and digest what he has for you. Well, believe it or not, we're taking a journey tonight in broad strokes through the entire Bible. You will get out before midnight. <laughs> no, we only have the room till 9.30, so we'll skinny it up. But are you ready? All right. I want to read for you Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 11. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purpose. If you understand the name Jehovah and Yahweh, it literally means God holds all time inside of himself. And he's saying, I saw the end. I decided what I wanted the end to be. And then I backed up to see what I needed to begin with so I could end here. The exact opposite of the way we think. So what was his ending? The last chapter of the Bible. Revelations 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. His end. I want to see the bride of my son in such oneness with his spirit that they speak the same thing. And they move in a miraculous oneness, 
That's what I want to give my son. That's the gift for my son. Now, how do I back this up? Before the book of Genesis. Revelations 21. And there came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And she spoke to me saying, come. And I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. If I'm going to have the bride and the spirit be one, then I've got to get the bride to heaven with the lamb so they can dwell in the new Jerusalem together. But how shall I do that? Revelation 9. After this I looked and I beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, crying out, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and salvation belongs to the Lamb. When one of the elders said, Who are these clothed in white robes? And Where have they come from? And I said, sir, you know who they are. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I want a bride for my son that can be in such oneness with his spirit, they say, come. And they know the timing together. They know the word together. They know what it means together. They're in perfected oneness. Oh, but I've got to get the bride up here to heaven in the new Jerusalem. I'm going to have to wash her in the blood to let her come in. And then he begins to prepare. How can I let this be the end? I know the end. Now, what's the beginning that I need to do? Genesis was where he began. And Genesis was where he began this love journey of wanting to bring a bride to his son. Remember this tonight. Love is patient. Love endures all. Love hopes all. And love never gives up. He had the end locked in his heart. This is what I, the Most High God, want for my son. How do I do it? I've got to create a bride. I've got to create nations. I've got to create tribes and peoples and So he comes in Genesis 1, 
when it's full of darkness and it has no form and he brings beauty and he creates a man and he creates a woman. And he has begun the journey for the ultimate gift for his son. Adam and Eve sin. Can't be in the presence of God with sin. So in Genesis 3, the Father himself pays the price and pays the dowry for this young bride. As we go through scriptures tonight, remember this about a dowry because we don't have it in our culture. The size of the dowry, what you pay for your bride, reflects the honor, the dignity, the identity, and the destiny of that bride. And the higher price you pay for a bride, the higher you deem her honor, her dignity, her identity, and the more treasured is her destiny. So he's looking for a bride, Adam and Eve sin. They can't be the bride. They can't even be the seed for the bride now. He's got to find a way to cleanse them and start all over. So one verse in Genesis 3. Not an angel. Father God himself comes down, puts his feet on the earth, takes a creature that he has created, kills it, and the blood flows down the hands of the author of life in agony. He would never harm anything he created, but he understands life is in the blood. The blood flows from the animal, and it was not a quick thing, for he skins the animal, treats the skin, sews the skins together to make garments. Love is patient. Love is patient. With every stitch, love is patient. Love is patient. Thinking of the bride and his son, love is patient. And because the blood flowed and he puts garments on Adam and Eve, they are given a new beginning. And he's giving us a hint that the dowry that's going to be required for this bride is going to be blood. When he makes a covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, it's blood. You see, there's nothing more valued than blood. And there's no harsher penalty almost in Scripture than those who are guilty of taking innocent blood. Blood carries life, the life of God in it. And it's treasured all throughout scripture. And it does things in the heavenlies that nothing else can do. And you know the story of Passover. The children of Israel have been in captivity by Egypt for decades generations, over 200 years. It's God-appointed time. He wants to bring them out. 
Why? Because he's still looking. He's still wanting to find a, a line, a lineage. Where, where can I find this bride for my son? Where can I form and mold and mentor and raise up a bride for my son that can stand with him and say, come in the right time and in the right voice and with the right heart. After all the plagues, they're told, take the blood of a lamb, put it over your doorpost. And some would say for the only time in world history, an entire nation obeyed and did one thing all at the same time together for God and for themselves and for the bride. Every Israelite took the lamb's blood and put it on their doorpost. They had never done it before. They've never done it since. It was a phenomenal act of faith by an entire nation. The blood is over. Egypt relents. Psalm 105 tells us that when they walked underneath that blood, as they walked out of Egypt, there was not one sick person or one feeble person among them. They were all healed by passing under the Passover blood. Passing under. And it was a glimpse of, this is what I want to do if you'll be my son's bride. I'll let his blood be life to you. I'll heal you. And every one of them walked out with silver and gold and prosperity. And they all walked out with their families intact. And they walked out with angelic protection. And they walked out with a new identity. Because in Exodus 19, the Lord says, you are my treasured people now. You are my treasured possession among all the people in the earth. You are mine. You are my kingdom of priests, and you're my royal nation, and I'm raising you to be my son's bride. And often we talk about their time in the wilderness, like, well, they were doubting and murmuring, and they were in the wilderness. That's true. But you have to remember, the blood was over them. They were purchased by the blood. They walked out because they were purchased by the blood. And in all those years in the wilderness, they lived by miracles. They lived by miracles and covenant. Their food came down from heaven. Their manna, their quail, water from a rock. And when Moses is finalizing his comments in Deuteronomy 29, he says, in 40 years, your clothes never wore out. They grew as you grew. Your shoes never wore out. They grew as you grew. You never lost to an enemy. I protect covenant. And the only thing they did differently than any other nation was they applied the blood and they walked out under the blood. They weren't perfect. But they walked out under a blood covering. We get to David. 
As some of you heard me say yesterday, a man after God's own heart. And in 2 Samuel 6, David, once again, as the Israelites had done something that had never been done before and has never been done since with the blood, David did something with the blood that had never done before and never done since. He was at Obed-Edom's house, which in Israel today is Abu Ghosh, which is about eight kilometers outside Jerusalem. And he wanted to take the ark into Jerusalem. And as he prayed and prayed, God, how do you want me to do this? He had a strategy from God. One, two, three, four, five, six steps. The entire entourage stopped and he made a sacrifice and spilled the blood. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Slay the animal. Thousands. Can you imagine covering that much distance and every six steps you stop and do a sacrifice? Because the revelation David had was the only way I can be close to the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God is if I am splashing, dripping, knee-deep, covered in the blood. He understood. And he understood Leviticus 17.11 that says, the life of a creature is in the blood, and the blood makes atonement for all of your life. It's the blood. It was their identity. It was their health. It was their protection. It was their prosperity. It was their favor. It was their covenant. It was their protection from enemies. And as long as the blood was honored, no one could touch them. No one could touch And when they slipped into tradition and routine and did the sacrifices, like da-da-da-da-da, then they began losing their power, and Israel became vulnerable to their enemies. And you can track their history of up and down in the Old Testament, of victorious in the land is at rest, to they are in captivity by how the blood was honored. Because sometimes we can become so familiar, we lose awe, we lose wonder, we lose humility, we lose holiness. Isaiah is seeing prophetically into the future. And in Isaiah 53, what he sees is he sees blood, 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 blood blood in a lot of different ways. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Why is he doing all of this from Genesis 
to Psalms, to Proverbs, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Malachi. Why is God being so patient and continually bringing them back to a revelation of the blood, giving them a vision of the Messiah in blood? Because he never loses focus of what his end is. I want a bride for my son that is so pure-hearted and so humble and so dependent and in such oneness of spirit with him that the bride and the spirit speak the same thing in the same season, in the same moment, with the same heart. That's what I want as a gift for my son, and I will persevere for hundreds of generations if I must. But I will find this end for my son. Jesus comes and he says, I'm, I'm one with the Father. You know, I say what the Father says. I think what the Father thinks. I'm one with the Father. And so now Jesus comes and he's aware of his Father's dream. He's aware that the Father wants to give him a gift of a bride. And he is very much aware, very, very much aware that he is the Passover lamb now. And he's come to pour out a better covenant. And he's come to pay the rest of the amount due on the dowry for the bride. The lambs in the Old Testament were the down payment, down payment, down payment. But now he's come to pay off the entire lien upon this property and to purchase the bride for all time. He's come to make the final payment. And simply put, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's struggling with the weight of all the sin of the bride and all the sin of those who never become the bride. He's underneath the weight of the darkness and the sadness and the father's broken heart and the spirit's being quenched and he's under it all and he's struggling in Gethsemane. And sweat drops of blood come down and then he says, not my will but thine be done. As if to say, okay bride, when you struggle with your will, as to whether to trust me, let me love you, and to trust me, let me love you. When you struggle with, can I love you? Will you trust me? This blood's for you. This blood is to redeem your will. And they arrest him, and they pull his beard, and they spit in his face. And his face is erupting in bruises and blood and... And they've tried to shame him and mock him and make him feel embarrassed and less than. And he's saying, bride, when this world tries to shame you and make you feel less than, that you're not worthy to be my bride, this blood's for you. I will not let anything stand between me and my bride. This blood's for you. Miraculously, this blood is for you. They put the crown of thorns on his head. The blood is pouring, pouring, pouring. 
His whole mind is surrounded, and he's saying, I've come to redeem your mind. Because your mind will have thoughts, and the enemy will try to get in your head to give you thoughts, so you cannot receive my love. You cannot love me back. You cannot rest in me, and you, you just won't be able to enjoy being my bride. This blood is to give you the mind of a bride. And you know they take him outside and they tie him to the pole and they use the long leather strips with metal and glass and bone and they were long enough that when they would strike it, it would hit his back, but it would swing all the way around. And you've heard me talk about this in detail, but the beating had three stages. They would start at the back of the legs and it would wrap all the way around to the front. The third would hit his back and wrap all the way around and pull the flesh off of his chest. The third would hit the back of his head and literally rip the skin of his face off. And that's why Peter said he was striped. Striped. And by those stripes we are healed. Because he said, you're my bride. Oh, my God, I love you. You're my bride. You're my bride. I can't bear it. When you even have a headache or you even stump your toe, I love you. I can't stand to see you hurt in your body. This is the dowry to purchase your body, to be whole. You're my bride. <laughs> You're my bride. They take him to the cross. They nail his hands to the cross because he understands something. As Hebrew says, we have this high priest who is very familiar with the way life is down here on earth, with our temptations, our heartaches, our struggles, and that we're just not very good at loving each other. You know what I mean? Unless the Holy Spirit transforms us, we're just not good at loving and grace. And, and so then blood pours from his hands. And as he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's saying, my bride, this blood is for everything that's ever happened to you in your life at the hands of others. And even from your own hands. Because our own hands are sometimes more painful than things we tell ourselves over and over. Or things that have happened in the church, out of the church, family, friends, who knows what knows. But he says, whatever has happened in this earthly realm by your hand or somebody else's hand that closes you up and hinders you from the giving of receiving of love, this blood's for you. And they drive the nail into his feet. And as the nails are Pouring blood, pouring blood. The nails become like a fountain of blood. It's the high priest of compassion saying, I know that you're going to walk through things in this life, and it's going to be painful, and it just, things happen. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. And it's not really something that someone's done to you. It's a life circumstance or a trauma or you lose a job, or there's a health issue, or this happens, and you're just walking, and, but it gets your heart. You know what I mean? It gets your heart. And anything that gets your heart, you see, it's like it reaches in and puts a hand on your heart, 
And then you can't give him your full heart because this is there. A doubt, a fear, a wall, and this is your, you're my bride. Uh, this blood's for you. This blood is for you. And to redeem anything and everything in your life. And then they come. And at the end, he's hanging on the cross. And they come and they just pierce it with a sword. And some of you know this just undoes me. Picture, you've heard me share this because it is stunning to me. Here he is. His lungs have filled up with fluid. He's having spasms, contractions in his abdominal area, lower back pain. The sword goes through and the water breaks. The water gushes out like a pregnant woman and it's followed by a gushing of blood and the birth canal was open for the children of God to come through. And he poured out all the rest of his blood for everything that is anything and that is anything in every realm that we would ever go through. So he could say, my blood makes atonement for that. I left none of the blood in my body. I gushed it out of that birth canal for you. So you would have more than enough blood for anything. Because this whole journey began because my father wanted to give me a bride that could stand yoked with me. So I got to buy you. I got to purchase you. I want to redeem everything. You are my honor. You are my identity. You are my worth. I pour out all my blood to redeem you, to redeem you. We can go from... Matthew to Revelations and all the scriptures of the power of the blood, of the forgiveness and, and the healing and the covenant. And even in 1 Peter 1, 17 and 19, I love this because you see, you see the thoroughness of his love. Peter says, you need to know this. And it's as if the father is whispering into Peter's ear, there's something else that hinders my bride, Peter. They need to know my blood covers this too. Peter says, you can be redeemed from the empty ways of your forefathers by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the understanding is whatever realm whatever you got from your forefathers, from your parents and your grandparents and all the generations before. All those familial spirits or patterns that are reproducing in you and in this journey. Or when doctors say, do you have a family history of cancer? Do you have a family history of heart disease? 
Jesus said, I want a bride that lives long and lives strong. I'm not rebirthing a bride to leave her in an old body. I break that off by the power of my blood. And as I give you a new spirit, and I can give you a new soul, I can give you a new body, and a new realm of divine help, First John said, oh, beloved, I wish that you would all walk in divine health as your soul prospers. So as the dowry of this bridegroom cleanses our soul, heals us, redeems us, opens up our spirit, he said, I didn't forget the temple. It's not just by my stripes you're healed. I can break off things from your forefathers so they never manifest. We are not of this world. We are not. Citizens of heaven is not just a poetic phrase. It's our identity by the blood. When we become believers and we receive this blood in our body, our soul, our spirit, according to what the word of God says it is, we are born again. We're born again. And we have a different family DNA for the way our soul acts, the way our body lives, and the way our spirit soars. We have a family DNA that's different now. But Hosea understood where we live. Because Hosea said, people perish and struggle unnecessarily for lack of revelation and understanding. So hear me very carefully. If you're sitting here tonight and you're sick and your mom and dad had this and you got it, there is no condemnation. So don't let the enemy be all ugly on you. What the word does is the word gives us a picture of his heart. And the word gives us a picture of what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. It's to give us a vision to go, This can be mine by the blood, not by my works, not by how good of faith do I have, but by the blood, it's a vision that we grow into. I am sure if I asked Jeremy and Maria or Mike and Julie or Greg or Joy or Michael and Susan, any of the other married couples, Dwayne and Marcy, you would tell me that the love and the way you express your love for one one another now is different than it was when you very first met. Because you've grown, haven't you? You've grown in oneness. You've grown in knowing how to communicate. You've grown in understanding each other's hearts. You've grown in knowing what your husband dreams for you, what your wife dreams for you. He is our bridegroom. We grow in that relationship. So on the journey, we have to keep this vision in front of us. of Look at what the blood purchased for me. And Holy Spirit, give me the power to receive all the love Jesus has for me. I want to aspire to that. There's no condemnation. It's this magnificent, unbelievable journey of love. Listen to what Paul wrote in the book of Colossians. Jesus is before all things, and in him all 
things are held together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he has supremacy. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things in earth and all things in heaven to peace by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means all. It means anything and everything that occurs, happens, you consider all in earth and all in heaven by the precious blood are reconciled. What's that mean? Come into oneness. They make peace with one another. And that's the picture. The kingdom of heaven comes to earth into all things of our life. Not because of me and, oh, I'm so mature and, oh, I got faith and who knows what knows. It's by the blood. And to think any of these things need works is heresy. And it acts like our works have some kind of value that can add to the holy, magnificent blood of the Most High Son of God. When you say it that way, works just sounds kind of silly. You know what I mean? This is the blood of the Son of God. You see, he had to come as a baby because he had to have a vessel to get that blood into the earth. Our salvation, our identity, our forgiveness, redemption of our past, hope for our future, prosperity, any and every promise of God. The book of Hebrews tells us we cannot even come into the presence of God without the blood. Every time we've been protected, our assurance of eternity, every good thing was purchased by the blood covenant. So that's why in the kingdom of God, we're all equal. I heard this phrase in prayer when I was praying about tonight, and I loved this. I just love it. Oneness begins where blood and dust meet. I'm made of dust, and I'm not good at anything apart from his empowerment. I'm just dust. But when my dust meets his blood, you better look out. Because now I'm a child of the Most High God. And I'm a citizen of heaven, and that blood covenant is mine. And don't you touch it. when you realize you're just dust and you too, your identity and your worth and value is in the blood and you're going, then when we lock hands, we are now in perfected oneness because we're standing dust to dust, totally dependent upon the blood of the most high God, claiming nothing of ourselves and only the blood 
can allow the Holy Spirit to come in me, change me, transform me. We're on the exact same journey together. We're on the same plane, and nobody's better than anybody else in the kingdom of God because where blood and dust meet, we're all one. And when we meet there, we are different. We are very different from people of this world. We are not better, but we better be different. And by the power of that blood that can heal our soul, redeem our souls, we should be exploding with a capacity for love, a capacity to receive, and a capacity to give. We should be exploding with a capacity for wisdom and for ambassadors of reconciliation because the blood has given us a different body, a different soul, and a different spirit. And it's all because the Father saw the end. And he said, I'm going to create men and women, and I'm going to invite them to the highest honor I have in heaven. The highest honor I can give anything in all of all, and that is to say, I choose you. To be the eternal partner of my son. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven and earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it. And I, John, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So he can open the scroll. But he couldn't. He couldn't. Look closely at Revelations. The Lion of Judah could not open the scroll because suddenly between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. And the lamb took the scroll. And when he took it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked, and all the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, thousands and thousands of angels were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and I heard every creature on earth and I heard every creature under the earth. And all of them were saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb alone be the blessing, honor and glory and might forever and ever.
you are chosen. You are chosen to be the bride of the Son of the living God. And he did not come just to save you from your sins, though that is miraculous, marvelous, and grace upon grace. He came to save your body, your soul, and your spirit. And for us to continue the journey in every season of life, going higher and higher and higher in receiving what the blood has purchased for us. There is no condemnation if you think, well, I don't understand that. I got this, I'm depressed, or I got this sickness. That's not your fault, darling. Don't be difficult on yourself. It's a journey. But lift up your eyes and say, oh, Jesus, I don't understand the miraculous, wondrous never-relenting power of the blood. But I want to receive the power of the blood in my body, soul, and spirit tonight according to your revelation. I agree with your revelation of the blood. I agree with the revelation of the blood that it absorbs and flushes out of me all sickness and it heals my soul of all those fears and wounds and strongholds and it floods my mind with shalom, shalom, and my spirit is filled with faith and, oh, rest. I receive, I receive. I want to give you a few moments. You talk to him about the blood. And then we will take communion together. Receive and release, dear ones by the blood of the Lamb.
do this in remembrance of me. He wasn't just saying, remember I died on the cross once. It was remember it's finished and it's yours brand new every time you remember. Enjoy the power of the body of Christ.
This is the blood of the Lamb. He said, this is the blood for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the blood of the new covenant. A covenant that gives you everything I have. For as the Father sent me, I send you with everything. May the grace, the mercy, the love, the encouragement, and the power of the blood go through your body, soul, and spirit as you drink. Father, I agree with the power of your son's blood over my brothers and sisters. I just believe that your blood can flow and give them a transfusion in the natural and just pick up all those cells that are not behaving in their bodies and just carry them away. I believe your blood can break those curses of physical illness and even the curse of illness that seems to cycle over and over, no matter what its name is, your blood pushes it aside and brings peace. And we receive the power of the blood in our soul and in our mind and our emotions, in our personality, to just pick up all that is not of you and just wash it away. And give us the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the fruits of the Spirit, the peace of knowing your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We receive the power of your blood in our spirit that can take us deeper and deeper and deeper still in your presence. Father, thank you for having a dream. Thank you for your patient love all these generations. And thank you for the unspeakable gift to be prepared to be the bride of your son. And we look forward to this day. As John said, I saw the heavens open, and behold, I saw a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war, and his eyes are flames of fire, and on his head are diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, will follow him on white horses. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name. King of kings and Lord of lords.